Everybody, good morning. Um, ah, good morning. Um, you fought through the rain, so you really wanted to be here. So um, grateful for that. My name is Chris. Um, I work with college students at Wake Forest. And uh, if this is your first time or one of your first times in a long time, um, we're really grateful that you're here. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, my family and I have been here about four years and have found this to be an amazing community to belong to um, and a place to experience God. So if you're checking this place out, I hope that you'll get to know some of the people around here. There's some really amazing people in this room, and we really do believe that God is at work here. So we're really happy that you are here. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at the 36th Psalm, um, which is like right in the middle of the Bible. If you want to look there, it'll be on the screen. Also, you could just uh, hear it. This is the way that God's people received the word for thousands of years, was just by hearing somebody speak it out loud. So maybe that's the preferred method, if you want to go with that. Um, we've made it our rhythm here at Redeemer to, to explore the Psalms during the summertime, even though it all of a sudden feels very much not summertime out here. Um, so I, I work with college students, and when you're in the pastor game, um, people don't really know how to orient to you or what you're really there for, but oftentimes when you're talking with somebody and sit down with somebody, eventually they'll get quiet, and that's the part where you're supposed to then tell them what you think they should do um, and give them advice, which I uh, hate and have fear and trembling because if I'm supposed to be drawing on my own decision-making historically, then I don't think I'm going to have much to help with um, when it comes to giving advice, but one time I was uh, meeting with a student when we were at Appalachian, and she was a senior, and she had just recently gotten into a new relationship, and it seemed like it was really great. The guy that she was seeing was fantastic, and she seemed to really be enjoying herself, but she was really hung up on an ex, and they had broken up maybe a year prior, and it was a bad situation. But the whole time we were talking, it was clear that she had so much regret from her ex that she was really struggling to really embrace this new and good relationship. And so then inevitably the time came where she was kind of looking at me like, what should I do, spiritual preacher person? And um, I definitely didn't want, want to give her relationship advice um, because I thought that was definitely not going to help. Um, Sarah Jane found me at some point. I didn't like make any good decisions before that. Um, so in the moment, I just said, um, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to go out onto the parkway. Now, if, you're, if you go to Appalachian, that, as Ben well knows, if you want to encounter God and really think through some stuff, uh, you go out on the Blue Ridge Parkway and you drive your car out there and drive around or sit and think. And I said, on the parkway, I want you to find a song by Garth Brooks called The Dance. And, um, and she was like, okay. And, uh, and I said, I want you to listen to The Dance 10 times in a row until it breaks through and has its effect on you. And, um, and then we'll, we'll talk about after that. Um, now, if you're, if you're not familiar with the dance, it's a great song, maybe one of the greatest country songs of all time, definitely top 10. And uh, the, the, the sort of point of the dance is that it's a failed relationship, but in the chorus he says, I'm glad I didn't know the way it all would end, the way it all would go. Our lives are better left to chance. I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. It's a great song. Now, explaining this song to her would have, not, would have been maybe mildly interesting, 
But for her to actually get in this song in her car alone with her tears on the parkway ten times in a row, uh, it had an effect. It worked. Um, She was able to find some bigger perspective uh, and move through her regret and embrace the dance. Now, um, why do I tell you that? Um, What we are looking at this morning is a song. And there's nothing more weird than being like, we want a preacher to explain a song to us. Explaining a song is like trying to tell you why a joke is funny when you didn't laugh. Um, This song has its own life. It has its own effect. It's not meant to be explained from the front by someone that doesn't know anything more than you do about it. This is a piece of art that is meant to be um, encountered. This is a a song that's written by a person named David um, who knew firsthand what it was like to fail miserably, um, who knew what it was like to be self-deceived, and also knew what it was like to have life with God. And he is expressing his experience of God. Um, And so even though this is a piece of art for us to encounter, um, it's actually also something that we can take and use in a sense to have our own encounter with God. So what I want to do as we read it is just give a little bit of, um, this is kind of like if you listen to podcasts that talk about songs, you're like, oh, I get a little bit of color, but it's not for the podcast. It's so that you can encounter the song again. So what, I, what, I, what I'm hoping is that you will feel like you can take this psalm with you um, and allow it to have its effect on you um, later. So here's Psalm 36 written by David. Uh, to the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. And then it feels like there's a, this shift suddenly to God. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Let's pray and ask God to meet with us. Uh, Our God, Father, Son, Spirit, We thank you for this song 
written by our great, 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 great uncle David. And Lord, he was a real person encountering you in his real life, which was marked by trouble and by beauty. Um, and he encountered you because you are real. And Lord, I thank you for all these sisters and brothers that are here. And Lord, we all have a million different reasons for being here this morning. And yet deep within each of us is the desire to know you and to encounter you. And Lord, we can't control that. We can't control our encounter with you. So Lord, we offer ourselves to you um, as we explore this song and we pray that you would meet with us um, in a place that's deeper than words, uh, in our very souls. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. Okay, so the dance, again, if you just to put a bow on that, if you're dealing with heartbreak, listen to the dance, okay? Um, you can take that with you. That's for free. Um, the dance is to be taken out on the parkway and to deal with your heartbreak with. This song also has a use, a way that we can welcome it into our lives and let it affect us. Um, and I think that that's the reason why it seems like there's this big shift from talking about the wicked to talking about God. And here's what I mean. The very beginning, David says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. What David is saying is that we have the capacity to deceive ourselves, to imagine that we are better than we think. Um, actually, the, the, the Bible um, is really unique in this view of human beings, that actually what comes natural to us is to deceive ourselves and to imagine that we are in the right and other people are fools and they have no idea what's really going on here. My wife and I sometimes talk about who are the normal people that we know? Um, you know, who do we hang out that's like a, a normal person? And of course, we are assuming that we are normal, which is a strong assumption um, and a bit self-deceived, I think. Um, of course, when you're thinking about who's normal, you always think, well, I'm normal. Other people are strange, but I'm normal. Uh, my dog eats out of the trash consistently. Uh, our dog loves tortillas, and our dog loves bread. And if there is any bread or tortillas around, whether in the trash can or on the counter, she will get it. Now, I find myself getting really worked up and upset about how disobedient this dog is. Of course, she knows that it's wrong, and yet she does it over and over again. But when I have some perspective, I realize it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. Um, she eats bread because that's what she does. If there's a problem, it's because I actually have moved wrongly. David knew what it was like to deceive himself, to flatter himself, to imagine as he laid on his bed or maybe as you lay in your bed or drive in your car and you recount um, a conflict that you've had with somebody or something that's gone wrong. And imagine all the ways that the other person has no perspective, they don't understand, they're unkind, and the ways that you've been wronged. Um, the Bible is actually clear with us that that's our natural way, is that we deceive ourselves and that we naturally self-justify. That's just how we move through the world. 
Um, and that the more certain we are, like he says here, that, that our things cannot be found out, um, the more danger we are in. Um, it's often the case that we don't do hurtful things because we know they're hurtful and do them anyway. We imagine the things that we do that are hurtful are actually good or right, and then we choose to do them. And that's who this psalm is for. This psalm is to give us perspective, to help us see something bigger than our own self-justification. Part of what David is doing in this psalm is to show us we keep ourselves so close to our eyes, but if we're able to part our hands or to look up, God has something so much bigger that actually frees us to live a, a, a bigger and fuller and, and truer life. Now, our family just got back from, um, we drove 6,000 miles uh, visiting national parks out west. Uh, it was amazing, life-changing. I wouldn't say it was, like, fun, um, because we camped the whole time. Um, but it's just, you know, you're in it together. And um, we were in Glacier National Park, which I highly recommend if you want to go there. It's beautiful. And I was taking a moment for myself and walking down to the restroom area just to, just to catch a minute. You know, you got to get some alone time. And um, where we were, it was next to this huge mountain that every time I looked at it, I thought, it's a simulation. Um, I'm living in a simulation. This is surely not real. Like, my brain would not even accept that this grandeur and majesty was, was actual. I thought, I'm just imagining this. And then I started getting really freaked out because I was like, if I can imagine something this amazing and it's not real, what does that mean? Um, but anyway, um, so I'm there like tweaking out, you know, about this mountain. And I turn around to come back to our campsite, which would later be invaded by grizzlies and we had to leave. But that's a story for another sermon. And um, as I turn around, there was a double rainbow. Yeah, right? Um, over this mountain. And this crazy thing was happening because this was in a sort of a parking area. And there were people in, our, you know, RV folks. Then there were people that were, like, really into being outside. There was people that were, like, eating in this restaurant. People from all sort of walks of life. People from Canada, even, you know. So it was really everybody. Um, and uh, everybody was, like, entranced by this double rainbow. Like, no, like, I didn't have to go to somebody and say, like, hey, here's why you should think that this is important. Um, everybody instinctively understood. The, ra the double rainbow over the mountain had its effect on you, whether you wanted it to or not. And I got back to the, our campsite, and I said to Sarah Jane, I said, you know, you can't preach a double rainbow. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could tell you all about this double rainbow, but you have to encounter this double rainbow, or else it's just mildly interesting. What David is doing, in a sense, in the next few verses, is he starts talking about how big and how wild and how massive God is. And in a sense, he's describing it like I could describe this double rainbow to you. But in a sense, he's saying, hear about this rainbow so that you can go outside and actually experience it and let it have its effect on you. It's an invitation. I mean, look what he says in verse 5. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. In the ancient mind, that's as high as you could possibly get. They didn't imagine that they were on a planet floating around in space, but that was as high as you could go. God's love extends that high. It's so big, it's beyond anything we could imagine. No matter how high we could ever go in life, God's love would be even higher and more vast than us. 
Your faithfulness is to the clouds. And he says your righteousness is like the mountains of God. It's like so solid, impossible to be moved or to be acted on. God just is righteous forever. And he says your judgments are like the great deep. They're like the sea. It's like there's things down there that we can't even possibly understand or grasp or get to. Like God's judgments are so vast and mysterious and beyond our comprehension. David is, is in a sense, calling us to like allow our hands to part from before our eyes and not to just hear about God, for me to tell you how God loves you so big. You're like, that's great. That's mildly interesting. I'm going to make a sandwich for lunch. Um, But to actually go out and to experience God in his grandeur, to experience how big and how wild God is and how much beyond us he is. When we were camping, there's going to be about three more of these, okay? So just hang in. Um, When we were camping in Yellowstone, um, we went. Uh, The kids were sleeping in the tent in the morning. I was like trying to start this thing where I'm going to get up early. You know, you want the, tra- the vacation to transform you. Um, and so I got up, and I started making a little breakfast. I had my almond milk because I'm lactose intolerant and on, the, on the, the picnic table. And there was an elk at the next campsite. The elk is a very large animal, okay? It was as tall as me and had huge horns. And um, it was at the next campsite eating our neighbor's camp chairs um, as they slept. It was sort of like ripping the tags off and chewing them up. And uh, I was like, wow, look at that. And then about 25 yards away, which they say is as close as you're supposed to get to a wild animal, um, because of, like, they can cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time, was a bison, which was like the size of a car. And it was just there hanging out, like munching something around somebody's campfire spot. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm like making my, I was like, this is what it was all, it was all worth it. You know, come out here, see the elk. I spend about 10 seconds unzipping the tent to say, hey, girls, there's an elk out here. And I turn around, and the elk is in the campsite, in my campsite, about this far away, just crushing my almond milk. Had just taken my almond milk off the table, and it's like, and it's splashing almond milk everywhere. And so I sort of position myself on the other side of the picnic table, because they can't get over the picnic table. Um, You're safe on the other side of the picnic table. It's 25 yards or a table, and that's good. And, um, and it was just like eating my food. And then it starts trying to, we had just bought this special hot cocoa. And it starts, you know, starting trying to get my hot cocoa. And I had a minute with it. I was like, no. <laughs> and it went, and like it shook its horns. And I was like, this elk about to mess me up. Um, just a little while after that, the bison walked straight through the camp, like rushed up against the front of the car and like gave me its one like weird big eye. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I could have put my hand out to touch it. Now, I seem very brave. I was terrified. Um, I was like getting eaten by a grizzly is one thing, but getting your life ruined by an elk just doesn't seem as cool, but it is really, really, really scary. Because I had this moment of like, if this elk wants to take my hot cocoa, there ain't nothing I can do about it. If this bison about to walk through my tent where my children are sleeping and just stampede right through there, set yelling at it, putting their hands up, there's no controlling what's going on with these animals. They are wild, and they are bigger than me, and if they want to act, they will act. I am out of control. 
David says at the beginning of this psalm that the reason why we can become so self-deceived and flatter ourselves and imagine that we're right and others are wrong and can be in this danger is because we don't fear God. He says there is no fear of God before his eyes. There's a sense that when, if we actually, I'm not talking about saying words about God or thinking ideas about God, but encountering God, that when we see him, we recognize he is very scary. If he moves in a way, I would be undone. There's no picnic table that's going to prevent me from getting wrecked by this thing, this being that is so much bigger and more powerful and wild than I am. And what David is trying to do is to invite us to see that, to actually see God that way, to encounter him that way, and allow his bigness to scare us, in a sense. Um, If God isn't scary at all, then maybe we haven't really encountered him. Um, It reminds me of this time Jesus is, uh, he's on a boat with his disciples, you may know the story, and they're in the middle of what's basically a small ocean. And a storm comes up, and they are going to die. They're all going to drown. And Jesus is asleep. And the disciples wake him up, and they're terrified. They're screaming into his face to wake up. Because they they, they say, don't you care? We're all going to die. And he wakes up, and he simply says, shh. And the storm stops. And what the passage says about the disciples is that then they became exceedingly afraid. Because a storm is scary. A person that can tell the storm what to do is really scary. And he was right there, you know, like right up in their almond milk vicinity, right? They became exceedingly terrified. Um, But there is this distinction, and I think this is part of what David is getting at, between just being afraid and despairing and being thrilled and excited by the bigness of something. We have this distinction in our family. Whenever someone's afraid to do something, to ride a ride, to try something, and they say, I'm afraid, we're like, well, that sensation of being afraid is actually the same sensation as being excited. You know, you're feeling the same thing, and you can begin to tell yourself, maybe I'm just excited about this thing, and I can try it. This, this is what David, I think, shows us after this. He talks about how big and massive and wild God is, but then this is where I, I want to just point you to so that you can return to the song and take it out on the parkway. In verse 7, he says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. What David is saying is that you can know God's love and understand how precious it is. Something is precious when it's rare. Your child, a diamond. Something is precious because it's very hard to get. You can't just replace it easily. He's saying God's love is rare in how steadfast it is, that it never goes away, never runs out, that you can experience that. And he says, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Like, Imagine that you are small enough for a bird to surround you with its wings and to protect you. Like how massive that bird would have to be. And in a sense, how scary that bird would be. Because if that bird took a little shuffle to the right, it might shuffle all over you. That God isn't just this massive 
being, but that he, shelter, he, he invites human beings in to be protected by him. He makes room for people. And this is where, to me, it gets crazy because, like, the elk or the, the huge mountain or whatever the experience that is so awe-inspiring, the double rainbow, he says in verse 8 that we feast on the abundance of God's house. And he gives us to drink from the river of what? Like, if you imagine God said, I want you to drink from my river of, you could fill in the blank. But what he says, is God's river that he wants you to drink from is from his delight. That huge, massive God that is wild and beyond our control and beyond our understanding, he is flowing his delight to us so that we can drink a crystal clear drink of his delight, of his joy. Like, you know what it's like to be with somebody when they actually are delighted in something. Um, That that is flowing from God, and he wants us to drink from it. Because the disciples could have been afraid of Jesus in the boat because he could still the storm, but he was for them. He was the fountain of life. He was the one who said that... Anyone that drank from him a, 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 a fountain of living water would come up. Um, again, so there's about two more of these. Um, when we were in Glacier, there's a road that goes through Glacier called the Going to the Sun Road. And the reason why it's called the Going to the Sun Road is because you feel like you're driving to the sun and you're going to plummet to your death immediately. Um, it's, a, it's a winding road that when you look out the window of the passenger side, it is straight down. And it's very terrifying. And there's snow, and then there's big boulders, and you're just like, it's probably not going to happen that a boulder is going to fall on my car, but it's not, the chances aren't zero. Um, and most of our experience as we were driving was like trying to cover our eyes or freaking out or being very legitimately scared. But the beautiful thing was on this drive is that as long as you stayed on the road, you were perfectly safe. So that that fear can become a thrill. It can become an excitement, something that changes you, something that's bigger than you, something that captures your imagination. And what Jesus has done for us is that he has put us in a place where we can experience all the terrifying grandeur of God and be safe, to be near such a massive thing and know that we are protected under the shadow of his wings so that we can experience his delight. Um, and I want to stop here and end just on verse 9. As you get ready to take this song with you, he says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Now, we tend to think we only see light when it's dark. Like, you don't go into the middle of downtown Winston-Salem to see the stars. You go out into the country. That's why people go out west and they go out to the national parks is to see the stars because it's when it's darkest then you can see the light. What David is saying is, is that in God's light do we begin to see light. That actually our life flows up from a fountain that is within God. And this is where I think this does become a little bit overwhelming to us. Um, 
that God is surrounding us at all times in his grandeur and in his wildness. But he is so big and so different that it's possible to look right at him and to not see him. Um, there's a, a scientist named Sarah Johnson, not our Sarah Johnson at Redeemer, who's one of the coolest people that you'll ever meet. Um, so just take that for what you will. But this is another person named Sarah Johnson, and she's an astronomer. And I was reading something that she was writing about extraterrestrials. So we're going to talk about aliens for a second. Um, she, and she's channeling Carl Sagan, basically explores... We imagine that if there was aliens, we would be able to see them and understand what they are because they would be something like us. That if there was life out there, it would be similar to what we understand life to be, uh, life as we know it. And she actually is curious about what if there is life, but we have no idea how to comprehend what it is. It's either so large that we can't see it or it's so small that we can't see it or it's made up of different things than we even know about. And she calls this L-A-W-D-K-I, life as we don't know it. And she said it's, it's like trying to imagine a color that you've never seen. Um, how would you begin to understand something and grasp a color that you've never seen, to imagine a life that you don't know? In Yellowstone, it's full of these like form, white formations that they look like dead rock, but what they are is these organisms that live in really high heat and in toxic chemicals that come out of the earth, and they thrive in that. We can't even imagine life in that space, and yet it's thriving there. The life that God invites us to see and that David saw and wrote the song about is a life and a person that is so massive and other that we can look right at him and still be fixated on being right. And meanwhile, God is looking right at us. Um, and he's inviting us to see him. And when we glimpse him, it really is like seeing a double rainbow. Uh, and we're caught up in it. So what I want to do is take a second and to allow each of us with these words, this song, in a sense, to take it up on the parkway in our heart and to try to look back at God, whether it's for the first time or the first time in a long time, with these words. Because that's what they're for. So settle yourself. You can close your eyes if you want to, whatever. And I'm going to read through just a section and for us to sit with God. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. 
man and beast, you save, O Lord. Oh God, how precious is your steadfast love. Lord, we take refuge in the shadow of your wings around us. So strong and warm. Lord, we feast on the abundance of your house. Your table is filled. Lord, we drink from the river of your delight. What does that even mean? What do you delight in? We want to know. Lord, with you is the fountain of life each of our life. Lord, in your light, we see light. Lord, let not the foot of arrogance come upon us. Draw us back to the song. Let it have its work on us as you have your work on us. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.